It's Learning to Listen with Quinn, Naomi, and Charlie. Welcome, welcome. L2L podcast, Learning to Listen. All right. Uh, We're talking all about music and the way we listen to music. And we're trying to engage with the music that we listen to. So that's what we're doing here. We're all about the art, the lost art of engaged listening. Um, that's why we're talking about albums and consuming the album as a whole artistic statement, the way artists intended. This is not a biography show. Um, I believe there are plenty of those out there. Lots of YouTube videos. Just go to A&E. Yeah, do what you got to do. But if you want to hear a raw, guttural, visceral reaction to the music we're listening to, that's what we're doing here. Uh, today, we are going to continue our Rolling Stones greatest albums of all time series. <laughs> Number 90, Neil Young, After the Gold Rush. Um, of course, my name is Quinn. I've got my co-hosts with me, DJ Charlie Scream. Charlie Scream. Hey, what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 90s enthusiast, Naomi Carmack. I love Garth. <laughs> I that love wasn't how we... Garth. I wasn't saying Garth. <laughs> I love how we we know that that's what's going to happen now. So I don't even ask you how it's going. I just wait for Charlie to make a drop. Me too. <laughs> just let him do his work. That's right. His magic. Right on. Okay. So Rolling Stone, 100 greatest albums of all time, according to their top 500 list, uh, originally written in 2012, but amended in 2020 for the online version, at least. Um, but before we get into it, patreon.com slash learning to listen. Uh, really appreciate everybody who signed up for that so far. If you haven't, uh, this is what you're missing out on. You get the content early. You get bonus stuff. Um, yeah, you just get to help us out, and we really appreciate that. So if you feel like helping us out, if you listen to an episode or two and you know you think we're doing the Lord's work, then you know that's where you can help us out. Drop a dollar or two patreon.com slash learning to listen okay so the album we are doing today is after the gold rush uh it's the third studio album by canadian american musician neil young released in september 1970 on reprise records um it is one of four high profile albums all charting within the top 15 released by each of the members of folk rock collective crosby stills nash and young in the wake of their chart topping 1970 album deja vu so um yeah i guess i don't know there's more i could say off the top there um but uh I, I guess it it charted at like number eight or something like that on the pop charts. Did pretty good, all that sort of stuff. Um, but let's get into it, you guys. Okay, yes. How familiar are you guys with this record? Not a ton. No. I'm more, I'd say I'd say I'm more familiar with other Neil Young stuff than this one specifically. So it was my definitely first time listening through it. Well, this album is the album before, like, obviously, Neil Young at this point is pretty popular Mm -hmm. as a member of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He had a career aside from them. Uh, He was already putting out records by the time he had joined up with those guys. Um, Of course, the most famous lineup of Crosby, Stills, Nash included Young. Of course, the joke is um, CSN. Sometimes why? And sometimes why, yeah. (laughs) And sometimes why? Because he was notorious for uh, not always 
you know, making tours with them and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. their biggest record, he's definitely part of, which would be Deja Vu um, that everybody knows. Of course, all those guys had solo careers. The, basically, Crosby, Still, Nash & Young was the original super. Well, not the original. I mean, there's probably other ones, but they were an, an, they were a super group. Yeah. You know, Legit. they were all. Yeah, they were all stars. It, David Crosby had been in uh, The Birds. Neil Young was already a star. You know, uh, I think Stephen Stills uh, dated uh, Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's why he was famous, but it didn't hurt. David him. Crosby gave sperm to Melissa Etheridge. I came a few <laughs> years later, but yes, that happened. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, you know, I don't know out of all those records, if this was one of the bigger ones, I think that it did, did get a lot of attention. Of course, the record after this is probably the one that most people are familiar with from this period, which would be harvest. Yeah. That one really blew up, but this one did have a couple of hits on it. And, um, uh, it's funny though, because I would say neither one of the singles were the really big hits. Uh, although only love can break your heart. I would think most Neil Young fans are very familiar with that one, but the, the big song off this album would probably be Southern man. The one that's like had the most staying power, the one that still gets played on K rock and things to this day is probably just say, it, just say it right out the gate. That's the best jam on this album. Okay. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. I'm going to um, put the hammer down. That's it. But okay. So Charlie, you said you're not super familiar with it. Uh, Naomi, how about you? Same boat. I know like two songs. Well, okay. I, I'm going to ask you because when we were talking in our, uh, you know, group chat about what we were doing next and we said, okay, this is the next one on the docket. Your immediate response was, ew. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it you're not a Neil Young fan. Does he have a rat tail? Okay. okay. But you're fans of other people other than fucking Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> I'm, I'm just totally joking. Um, Neil Young's voice has always been nails on a chalkboard to me. So the thought of having to sit there and listen to his brand of singing for half an hour was not my most exciting time, but uh, I got through it and it wasn't as terrible as I expected. Yeah. His voice is interesting, right? Because there's certain quality (laughs) to it. There's a certain quality to it. That's distinctly his. You can hear a Neil Young song and immediately know it's him just by, you know, that, that certain timbre of his voice. But mm-hmm. I, I found, I always find it interesting that through the years I've listened to a lot of Neil Young and it always sounded to me like he's intentionally singing at the top of his like range. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, like I, I, there's, I feel like there's a different, there, 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 there's, you know, maybe it's at this point where he's just been doing that for so long that has become his unique voice. But I, I don't say it doesn't sound forced. It doesn't sound inorganic. It sounds like he came there naturally. It doesn't sound like he's putting an affect on his voice or whatever. But yeah, he definitely, definitely was like, what is that called? It's not a falsetto. Mm-mm. But when you constantly sing in that, like the top end of your range, like. Like of his chest voice, like his uh, natural. Yeah, because it's I don't not. Know if there's a term for that. Yeah, because it's, it's not overly nasally. You know, uh, well, okay, it like does it definitely get nasally. nasally. <laughs> I, okay, I, I'm just thinking of like people I think of as like nasally fingers. Like I think of like you know, um, God, the, for the first two that come to mind just because you know, uh, my references are all country references, but like a Dwight Yoakam. Yeah. Okay. That's nasally. Okay. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's very intentionally nasally. 
right? Uh, or like even a Willie Nelson, who's a very nasally singer. Sure. Uh, yeah, I would true. compare, but I would compare, let's say, let's, I'd compare Neil Young more to like a Willie Nelson. I would say I, I, Nelson has a, a more uh, generally pleasant voice to the uninitiated, right? If you were to play somebody who'd never heard Neil Young uh, before. Because he's got a pleasant low end to his voice, Willie does. Yeah, like even, despite... even when even if he's singing a higher note, you can still hear like the lower frequencies in that in that mm-hmm. tone. Mm. Where all I get with Neil is when my ear feels like screechy, whiny bullshit. <laughs> well, okay, but think about this though. There's a reason he was in Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Those guys, like especially their pedigree from the bands they came from. Think of like a David Crosby, who the whole reason he was in the Birds is because he can harmonize his ass off. Right. Mm-hmm. Like those guys had like amazing three part, four part harmonies, like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young have amazing harmonies all over. Now I don't know where Neil Young falls in that, but like these guys all wanted to work with him. So right. obviously they weren't holding anything against this singing. And there's a moments on this album when you, when the harmony singing, like harmony voices come in. Um, some of those that are, uh, are, are, are like, uh, Oh, who is singing with him? Um, Steven Kinda Stills nice. is definitely singing with him on this album. And it brings out these beautiful qualities in his voice. Sure. And stuff in there that reminds me of like the band, you know, like, I don't know, song, certain songs on there. But I, I think when I think about singers like Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, where their voices are just kind of like, Ugh. it's it's I'm always thinking it's it's got to be about the songwriting. Yeah. Otherwise, why would they have a career? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think you're wrong. I think that once you listen to Neil Young and you and you get past any of like his shortcomings as a singer, um, and I want to talk about his guitar playing in a minute too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, you find that at the at the at the heart of it, there is just an amazing songwriter. And I think that maybe even David Crosby might have been quoted as saying this, but don't like don't don't, don't quote, quote me. Quote. Don't quote my quote, but uh, but I I think he said that you know once they heard Neil Young's songs, they were like, okay, we yeah, just have to have this guy we nearby. This guy. <laughs> we need his input. His songs are the best songs, and I agree. Like you listen to uh, you listen to like Deja Vu, which is such a tightly produced, uh, you know, very polished, especially in the vocal harmonies record. And then, you know, you get to the Neil Young songs and they're, they're the rawest of all the songs. They, they sound kind of like these songs sound the way they're produced, mm-hmm. but they're the best songs. You know, and I think a lot of times I've heard people's covers of Neil Young, Young songs and thought the song was fantastic. <laughs> and then yeah. I hear his original version and I'm like, oh, fuck. If I were to give him anything, though, is that when he does have quite the way of emoting, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's one of two things. Most of the time he's either melancholy or angry, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but he gets those two across very, very, very well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't, I just figure we need to kind of talk about that a little bit because he is not what you would call technically proficient, <laughs> <laughs> not as a singer and then number two he's kind of a terrible guitar player maybe not a terrible guitar player okay it's, I've, it's, I've, it's not a lot in like 
nuance. He's not running a bunch of scales and notes and things, but he's got he's got the feel in there. Okay, well, this most of this album is him. It's a very acoustic album. Yeah. So even though you know Crazy Horse is kind of credited as the band on this, although it's like he kind of pulled in members from the like you know CSNY band. Um, He also used you know like uh, some of the original sessions for this. He only I think only two tracks made it from the original sessions, and then they started another round of sessions with different musicians and stuff. But it's wildly acoustic. It's mostly acoustic guitar, some piano. Like there's a there's a horn on (laughs) on the track, a French horn. There's only maybe what like two three songs on this whole thing that are like really full band arrangements. Yeah, obviously those, uh, those are my favorite songs on the album. Well, yeah, Southern Man being one of them, right? Um, I get like when you dance, I can really love you. Yeah, or I can really love not you, but um, and then what else would be full band arrangements? Was you know? uh, only love can break your heart? Yeah, I guess that does have a full band arrangement on it, right? And so does uh, Cripple Creek Ferry. Yeah, but that doesn't really count. That's just an outro. Well, it's a song. It's a song, kind of. That's that's one that kind of reminded cool. me of the band. Well, or maybe because the they band have a song is a song called, called Up Bell Creek. Yeah, yeah. Creek <laughs> name drop. Yeah, it's a name drop. But anyway, um, it, it's a lot. So you do hear his guitar playing quite a bit on this, mostly acoustic. Um, and in there, you hear like decent changes and stuff like that. Like he's definitely got the folky thing down. But then uh, Southern Man comes on about four songs in, and this album starts slow. Yeah. Tell me why big vocal harmony and then, you know, just like wet guitar. Uh, and then after the gold rush uh, is another slow tune. Although, uh, you know, I feel like this after the gold rush is like a favorite of like singer songwriters, other folky types. I get it. it. I get it. it. At first, if you, it, at my first listen through, if you had asked me, I would have been like this bullshit, get it out of here. But then I read a little bit about it and then I re-listened to it knowing what it's about and like what's going on. And I was like, okay. Like well, what it is it about? It's um, so originally uh, some of the inspiration for this album was a screenplay that was written that um, it actually had Neil Young in it in the screenplay. And then he got a copy of the screenplay and then he made this album. And two of the songs would have been like soundtrack type of al- type of tracks. Right. Like this one and the Cribble Creek one were would have been like soundtrack songs. Uh, and then they tried to get the movie made and it never worked out. And then they lost the script. So now we'll never actually know what it was all about or anything. But, you know, but anyways, he got a copy of this uh, screenplay and he got he was I feel like he was even maybe having some like writer's block at the time until he got a hold of this screenplay and read it and got some stuff from it and was like, OK, cool. So but like the idea of um, after the gold rush is why I love it the most now. Well, maybe a little less, a little less than Southern Man, but it's kind of like a sci-fi movie, end of the world kind of movie, which was, it was like an end of the world kind of thing. The, the screenplay was apparently about like a hippie commune in California right before a giant tidal wave tsunami took it off the, took, takes it off the face of the planet kind of thing. So he talks a lot about, you know, waiting, like, the end of basically the end of California and it goes, it goes from like, it's got three different big time periods in it starting from like nights and maidens to like the seventies to like, you know, leaving to space kind of thing. So it's after the first listen to, I didn't catch any of that after reading a bit about it and then, then listening to it again, I was like, yeah, okay. I, I get, 
I get this. And now I'm into it kind of thing. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's why it resonated with so many singer songwriters, but no, that's why it resonated with me. (laughs) There was a ton of covers of after the gold rush. Uh, A lot of, a lot of people have done that song or performed it live. I found like a version of Billy Corgan doing after the gold rush shit like that, you know? Um, So yeah, it's like, I've, I've known this record, uh, but I didn't realize that, you know, other than, you know, uh, Southern man, old lonesome me, um, you know, that that people had really paid much attention to any of the deep cuts on here, but I guess people have. Right. But it makes sense. Like if you're going to get into a singer songwriter, like Neil Young and you get into like the deeper tracks that, that you would, but anyway, the whole, the, the, this whole album, has a very melancholy melancholic feel to it, right? I don't know if you guys got that or not. <laughs> yeah, how can you not get that from from a Neil Young album? But it's, well, not just Neil Young in general, but this album because it just starts so, so like, you know, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, well, it's pretty blah. Melancholic it is a great word. Blah right off the bat, right? Which is well, funny I wouldn't cause... say blah. That like maybe you'll, <laughs> you'd say blah. I would say blah. The first listen through, there were only two or three songs that jumped out as in like, okay, cool. I, I like this, right? I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it was just like, eh, bleh. right? It was like chill. It's very sparse, very melancholic, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but like right off the bat, and here's the thing, and I, I've been, you know, I I take I take the, the, the ribbing to heart every time you're like, yeah, but you never listen to the lyrics of this song. So I've been really trying to do that. And then <laughs> well, good, right off good, the bat, good. you've got the track, Tell Me Why, where yeah. he says, is it hard to make arrangements with yourself when you're old enough to replay, but young enough to to sell? And I was like, okay, well, that sounds like it should be deep, right? That sounds like a profound statement about something. Yeah. I thought about it for a little while, but then I did some reading about this song. And uh, what did he say about it? He said uh, something along the lines of he stopped playing this song live because it's essentially and specifically that line convoluted hippie doublespeak. So it's a bunch of bullshit. Well, okay. So here's the thing is (laughs) no, 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 no. But you got all these people who I'm sure hear it and thinks like that's got to be profound. No, but what you're you're missing the point of what you're missing there is that that's him commenting on like as an artist looking back and being like, nah, I could do better. I can do better because I would say lyrically speaking, like, you know, he, he matures in this period as a songwriter and his lyrics start to get a little more depth or have more, you know, so I'm sure as somebody who's never been satisfied, like totally, like he's always seemed like a guy who's, you know, and he's taken a lot of artistic chances over the year. He put a noise album out a few years ago. You know, he did that one album where he's singing the whole thing with a through a vocoder called trans, you know, like Mm -hmm. I am a robot, you know, like, he's testing himself. So yeah, you're right. He might look back at this and go like, man, hippie doublespeak. But I feel like that's more of a self-criticism than it really is a hippie doublespeak. Well, I heard him say that and I was like, yeah, that's what I originally got from it. But then you think, oh man, I got to pay attention to these lyrics. This is going to be for some profound shit. He's a, he's a songwriter, songwriter. So, you know, he's got some stuff in there. Well, okay. But anyway, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess you can get more from that. Uh, like you can take from it what you will. I mean, I hate that kind of, that sounds like uh, a cop out, but <laughs> 
just take what but I mean, I if you can get something from it i'm not saying like more power to you if you hear yeah. that and you're like i get it man and that changed me but i think cool. a song like tell me why is so much better written than some like we talked about like bush you know lyrics and, like, okay fucking yeah gavin rosdale lyrics are garbage right i wouldn't call I mean, him... that's real double speak it means nothing they're like, i wouldn't call him a not even platitudes yeah <laughs> right they're like even if there are some you know looking back maybe if he's like eh, i was just reaching for a lyric and now it seems like a hollow platitude to me. I feel like that's the journey of an artist who can like, you know, look back at their earlier work and <laughs> with a critical eye, right? Which actually makes me appreciate it more, to be honest. Um, but I was going to say, it, it really takes a while to build to Southern Man, which becomes like, comes out as the rock and track. So I understand why that's the first one that would turn your ear necessarily, depending on what you're looking for. Personally, headphones on and put this on and I hear the first harmonies and tell me why. And I'm like interesting way to set the tone of the album but it makes sense once you listen to the whole album through you're like this is going to be a through line is this feeling and i would say peak of emotion where it, like it kind of turns into like here's your angry neil young is like southern man right right mm. and then basically it follows the same pattern like uh you know the, the last track on this side till the morning is kind of like what you were saying about cripple creek where it's more of a passing you yeah know, it's, it's just a, like it's a, a natural it's a it's basically just a chorus that like yeah fades out right um cripple creek fairy is essentially the same same way and then i would say like the peak of side two would be when you dance i can really love right which is a little you know i mean maybe that's his love song it's it definitely doesn't escape from it doesn't it doesn't have you know like later years he would like uh uh he would write a song like harvest moon you know that mm -hmm. people have, and which blows my mind in the timeline I, when you realize that that came so much later that came like two decades after after this. yeah for sure but it sounds like it could have come from this period you know but you know maybe it, it took it took him you know using some hippie doublespeak to get towards like which is it's funny because you get the hippie doublespeak at the beginning but then you get something like when you dance and to me that really sounded like a basic bitch pop song it's not like the deepness of lyrics or anything like that. It's just like very, ba it feels very base level. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, well, you know, that's interesting. You should say that because I felt that way about Only Love Can Break Your Heart, okay. which is considered like a Neil Young classic. But I'm like, oh, this is really surface level kind of appeal to like radio kind of writing. Totally. Right? That's probably why it's been covered a million times. Like the first time I heard the song wasn't Neil Young. It was a 90s artist. I think uh, Sage Etienne. Cover. That makes, yeah yeah oh i'm sure i've heard a lot of people cover it. yeah, yeah. Well, i mean both of those things make sense because those two songs were the two released singles yeah so almost it's like he... that they were legitimately aimed for radio or for release right yeah who knows if that was his intention but i'm sure when the record label heard these they go okay that's a single it sounds like a single right um but man it's uh it's because we had to talk about southern man because other than it's obviously like a very uh, a very scathing commentary on the South, mm -hmm. and then people really think that this is the song that Neil that that prompted Leonard Skinner to write uh, "Sweet Home Alabama." Yeah, I was going to ask about that, but it's not. They do reference this song in "Sweet Home Alabama," right? Mm -hmm. They do. You know, I hope Neil Young can remember a Southern man don't eat him right at Neil. But the reason they wrote Sweet Home Alabama specifically is because he has another song that criticizes the South and the state of Alabama, specifically called Alabama. And right. I, it, I, it came out on a later record. Um, so that's what prompted them to be like, all right, this guy keeps picking on us. <laughs> we got to write well, a I song. Mean, I get it. It's a one-two punch, right? You get this one first and then 
you get the other one. I don't know how long, how much later it came out, but. But you know what's interesting is that by all accounts, they actually really respect each other. And they even co-wrote later on. Yeah, Neil Young was saying that, like, you know, he he was like, yeah, they're of course they would. He's like, I, he said that Leonard Skinner was one of his favorite bands, that Ronnie Van Zant was one of his favorite singers, and then he felt completely honored to be referenced in one of their songs, and he was like, they were completely right to 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 reference me and write about me and you know like defend themselves he's like because i really went after them sure not leonard skinner particularly but the south like i was really holding them accountable mm-hmm. in in both of these songs but this one this one's like you know it's, it's pretty dark right like what mm-hmm. it's about it's obviously about you know uh the history of slavery specifically yeah. in the south and like criticizing the fact that they used slavery to build you know up their 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 economy and whatever their their lifestyles but have they really paid any kind of like, uh, um, like, uh, you know, what do you call that? Uh, like reparations. Yeah. Reparations. Yeah, that sort of thing. And of course this comes right out of a period of like civil rights movement in the sixties and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a pretty, pretty, uh, hot topic at the time still. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting that he, he's so very specific about the South you know, and, you know, because it's not like the rest of the United States. It's just that there happened to be a civil war about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not like the whole U.S. or even North America in general. Like, I could see why you would be a little bit like, um, you know, like, what does this Canadian <laughs> have to do? Like, why does this Canadian have anything to say about it? But right. But I guess they all got along and Neil Young would even after, you know, he would intentionally wear Leonard Skinner shirts at concerts and stuff like that. And members of his band had played together and been members of each other's bands and stuff. Well, I mean, that's the thing about beefs is you can have a beef and then talk it out and squash that beef and then move on and you're better for it, you know. Mm -hmm. But, man, I have to say now I kind of love hate his guitar playing on Southern Man. I just straight up like it. I love it, even though it's, it's not great. It's so bad. But there's some things in this album, like that guitar playing, and like certain sequence, like songs that have piano on them, mm. where uh, there's like what was the one song? There's I wrote wrote it down. Uh, when you dance, the mm. piano on that song was literally done in the first in one take. And they got like, they got someone who wasn't like, and maybe not on that one. Maybe it was on a different one, but they got someone who's not a piano player to play the piano on that take because that grit and that not great sounding piano, that's the sound they wanted. I believe it was, um, no, I'm not sure. I've heard people pronounce his name Niles, but it's spelled Nils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. Nils Lofgren. I believe it was him. He was a guitar player. He was kind of considered a bit of a whiz kid. Uh, he, I think he'd been recruited from the, uh, the uh, CSNY camp mm-hmm. or whatever. And this is something Neil Young would do later on, but I think maybe, I don't know where he got this from. Maybe he got it from Bob Dylan because Bob Dylan was famous for doing this too, but he really got a kick out of putting people on instrument instruments that they weren't necessarily familiar with. And yeah, you figure it out. Them, make something out of this. Go ahead. <laughs> he did a whole album basically like that, which is uh, incidentally, it's funny that I'm going to say this because look, his guitar playing on Southern Man, it, it's terrible, but I kind of love it. <laughs> well, here's the one thing about it's terrible. Yes, you're you're not wrong, but also it's buried enough so that it's not 
so loud and blaring that it's like the worst thing ever. Like, say, well, I wouldn't use the like word say buried. Um, well, it's not buried, okay, but it's like a little bit back in the mix where something like uh, Bob Dylan harmonica solo, where you just hear it and you're like, "Well, fuck right off! I don't want to hear this. <laughs> Get this out of my ears." It's 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 leveled out enough where it's not just the all encompassing. Oh, what's happening? What's he doing to that guitar? But given that he had the piano players, uh, the, some of the piano tracks specifically gritty, he knew exactly what he's doing, and this is exactly what he wanted out of it. Well, that's what I mean, though. There's something about it that's very just like, it's just expression, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we talk about this all the time, but one of the things that draws me a lot to, like, when we were listening to something, Stooges, and we were just, like, listening to the guys, we are you know, they just, like, you know, make noise. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful noise, just full of, like, emotion and angst and expression. It's like, I feel like maybe Neil Young feels like that's the best way to express yourself, too. And maybe you know, taking somebody and, and maybe they said he I, I, like, who knows what the story is. I I'm sure we could find out, but you know, I'm picturing it like this, like, you know, they're in the studio and he's down and he twinkles a few keys and, and Neil's like, Hey man, you play keys. And he's like, no, not really. And he's like, great. I'm going to make you play keys on the track or something like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, yeah. I know a few chords. I can <laughs> learn a couple of things. He's like, perfect. Because like I was saying, he goes on a few albums later to make this album called on the beach or at the beach, on the beach, at the beach. You know which one I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know that one. Oh, dude. Okay. Listen. If if your jam is Southern Man and you like, you know, that sort of kind of raw guitar solo, you know, sure. yeah. you're talking about uh, the whole album is essentially like getting people to take pick up instruments that they're not used to. <laughs> okay, uh, but it's like all like it's all it's it's all um it's all yeah like first and second takes of just like running people through a song once or twice and then going okay sure. that'll be the take it's a lot of jamming it, it, it's basically he made the most uncommercial <laughs> anti-commercial album um and i don't know if there's any real hits off of it that you would know but uh but it's, it's okay it's, 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 a, it's, it's cool it's record. good i think i feel like it worked like I, i'm down to check it out but i feel like if it works if it's one or two instruments but the majority know what they're doing but if it's just like everybody, everybody ought to pick up a different instrument and let's go. Like that could, that could lead well, to these guys, chaos. But they're not like, they're not complete novices. These aren't kids, sure. you know, like picking up a guitar for the first time in like right. you know, parents' basement. These are guys who have some idea. Sure. Right. They have instincts about playing an instrument and you know, that sort of thing. They know how to like find a note with their ear. They're just not familiar or comfortable, but, but yeah. <laughs> so maybe that was the seed. This record is that the seed of, of, of something like that. And then of course, you know, he's tried a, a lot of things too you know he's putting more commercial stuff out mm -hmm. less commercial stuff out he's he's tried everything um but but you know like it, it's mostly a very sparse record though mm -hmm. mostly like i was saying before it's it's yeah. it's not a ton of instrumentation on most tracks and it's a tight 33 minutes it's mm -hmm. which i was going to say for for naomi like yeah, you have to listen to a Neil Young album, but it's only a half hour, so that's not so bad, huh? No, it wasn't too bad. Could yeah, you like I if, said, if if he was making <laughs> albums in the time of like the Drake album that we listened to, where it's like double album, two hours of of content. No, actually, I'd probably putting the time aside. I'd probably even like this album better than a Drake album. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, other than his voice, like 
the music itself was quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you could just sit back and relax to it or whatever you want to read, whatever house clean. And it didn't get on my nerves in any way, except his voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought I was thinking like, this is a pretty good like Sunday morning, you know, hang out mm-hmm. around the house kind of record. This isn't a party record. No, no. you know, and you know, a song like Southern man might stand out and it's a longer, it's one of the longer tracks. I think it is the longest track. 541. Yeah. Um, you know that, but it's not so jarring and out of place that, that, you know, like if you were just having a nice cup of coffee curled up on the, on the, on a nice chair or something like that, you know, just having some little background tunes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can see this. This is a good, this is a good record to do that with for sure. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting to put it in the context of where Neil Young was at at this point. And obviously there was a lot of interest in Neil Young because I, this album, I don't think was all that well received critically. I think it was mostly at, mixed. At first but it, it was had, panned. Yeah. It had some bad reviews off the top, you know, yeah. from some, some pretty big uh, publications like mm. uh, Rolling Stone. Um like with gave it a negative review and uh <laughs> that's the chart that, that put this out and put it on its list Boy, so isn't that, times change yeah yeah so Why? that's interesting right like when when some t- things have had time and place and 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 you know mm. when you can remove yourself from that immediate context of you know like who i don't know what they were expecting were they expecting another crosby stills and nash record or you know were they not familiar with uh with neil young overall because I'm pretty sure, like uh, on Deja Vu, one of the songs on Deja Vu that's Neil Young's song is Ohio, right? Which is another yeah. scathing song about, um, you know, protesters being shot by police or whatever. And it's like, well, so this is something he would continue to do, like you know, kind of hold those in authority accountable and things like that through his through his music, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I, I, you could put together like a whole political trajectory of of his songwriting all the way up through like this buds for you and right <laughs> or, I, I, or is it actually called this notes for you i think it's this notes for you yeah it? yeah but he was parodying this buds for you like campaign mm-hmm. and stuff like that um uh what about uh you know later on um 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 uh, uh god you know what i'm like talking about the we got a kinder gentler machine gun hand oh, oh keep, keep on, on rocking, rocking the free in world. the free world yeah. you know like this this guy has been consistently political his entire career yeah you know so i don't know if it was what they were looking for maybe they were looking for more of that or they wanted a whole album of that you know but yeah i i think it's kind of what you think charlie is that it be, maybe because it starts so slow and melancholic that people found it dull yeah, I think so. I feel like that's, I mean, and then once you really dive into it afterwards, but that's that's the whole story, right? When this came out, Rolling Stones, Panda is like, meh, whatever, not a great album. But now it's on the top 100 list of albums of all time, right? So, Yeah, so I have a feeling, if I had to guess, a lot of people who bought this record bought it because of who Neil Young was. You know, maybe Only Love Can Break Your Heart. I could see that going on as a single and people being like, oh, that's pretty and kind of sad. You know, like, oh, I'll buy that. And then having to give this record a few spins because you got to remember this isn't a day where you invested in this thing. And this is kind of what we're kind of talking about here about engaged listening that, that, that people have kind of gotten away from. But you might have bought this record based on that single or based on what you know of Neil Young from, you know, what 
you know, you've heard of him on other albums. Maybe you're a, you know, maybe you have a copy of Deja Vu and you're like, yeah, I want to hear more of that guy's records. Sure. And you put this one on and it starts slow. And you're like, and, it's, and oh, then you, you want to talk like, about, you want to talk about slow, man. I still, and I've listened to it a couple of times and I tried to like it, but I still don't like that cover of all lonesome me. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is the okay. slowest. Put a pin in that, put a pin in that because I just want to finish my point. My point would be like, but then you have this thing and you're like, yeah, you give it that first listen through and you're like, Oh, this is dull and slow. I, I wanted to like, you know, put this on and jam out or something like that. But then you're like, wow, I bought the thing. Right. Well, I've got <laughs> I it. I guess I got to leave it on the turntable. It's turn on the turntable. I should probably listen to it a few more times, you know, feel like I got my money's worth at least, right? Mm-hmm. Before I go and dump this off on my like little brother or whatever, you know? And then that's when you start go like, you get familiar with the songs and you go, oh, this is about something or, oh, you know what? I, I kind of see the context of this or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like that's what people come back around to over time, right? That's, you know. Um, yeah. I That old lonesome me that the classic it was a don gibson song don gibson right? yeah yeah i know it from from you know being a country i feel i think it was a early kind of example of a crossover I, i'm sure it charted but mm-hmm. it's like from the it's like from 50 58 59 around yeah and then. it's been done so many times oh lonesome me that's a great song well, now the funny thing about that song is that the what worked about it was it was this juxtaposition of these upbeat this upbeat tempo and major chord changes with melancholic lyrics mm-hmm. right you know and then neil young heard that and was like you know it'd be great if this was melancholic lyrics with melancholic fucking guitar playing and everything melancholic just straight melancholy if we gave it the neil young treatment and like it's he's infinite like, sadness pre-infinite sadness <laughs> yeah exactly well you <laughs> know it's funny you say that and i was talking about finding billy corgan um <laughs> covering neil young and I, I, you know, and then I remember in the nineties, you would always hear like Neil Young get referred to as like the godfather of grunge or, mm-hmm. you know, people would be not the same way that, that James Brown was the godfather of soul because he was actually around for the inception of soul, you right. know, mm-hmm. uh, where in this case, they, they grandfathered him in more like, you know what, you're proto grunge. <laughs> like we talk about these like proto things or whatever. And I never quite got that except for like, well, I'm like, well, yeah, he kind of, you know, he, he just kind of hammers on his guitar and, and he's kind of angry and angsty about things. So I, I get that. But I'm like the musically, I don't understand it because he's like kind of a, he's like a folk rocker. Mm-hmm. It would make sense you know? to me in the context that all these grunge artists were inspired and influenced by Neil Young's music and message. Sure. And then they adopted him as their grandfather. Right. And that's so, what I so mean. Cute. With a little bit of like time and distance and I'm seeing it now and I'm like thinking about it, like I'm like, oh, it's hard to see the forest for the trees, you know, when you're when you're when you're lost in the forest. But looking back now and going like that, the 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 direct through line from um neil young to billy corgan to smashing no. pumpkins mm-hmm. makes so much sense mm-hmm. you know um i would still take neil young over the smashing pumpkins any day <laughs> <laughs> but i oh, get yeah. it now i get why hey, like the whiny voice <laughs> I, I, I like i didn't necessarily understand like you know what neil young and nirvana had to do with each other but i get it it's that it's that second wave that post nirvana like post um never mind like you know a wave of, of grunge where they just grabbed everybody who was you know like banging away on their guitars and singing in that same like 
you know, high whiny register <laughs> and, mm. and yeah, the melancholy, like, you know, fucking Smashing Pumpkins were so got on the nose was that they put the word like melancholy in their album titles. Right. You know, I'm like, but now I get it. Now I'm like, I see the direct kinship, you know, I, at the time I, I, I just didn't quite see it. I, I understood that they felt like, Oh yeah, he's a guy who wears plaid and has ripped jeans. jeans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but now I see where Billy Corgan was trying to be Neil Young. Yeah. I don't know why I never caught it. You know, it was just too removed. It's too different. You know, but now when I hear a song like uh, Disarm, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, oh, got it. That's why we got <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, thanks. Great, Neil Young. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I guess another thing you can blame Neil Young for. Um, so, yeah, like, but, but I, I, you know, like, it's not something that gets talked about as much these days anymore. But of course, we obviously, because, you know, I don't know if you see like that as much with like the post grunge the nickelbacks and and what Mm -hmm. have yous you know like i think that that thread was lost a little Mm -hmm. um i don't know what they were trying to be i guess they're all trying to be creed yeah i don't know (laughs) i don't know who creed is trying to be but or was trying to be but post grunge movement man have we even mentioned the fact that neil young was born in canada Cancon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cancon. He actually, as of 2020, became a United States citizen. So he took dual citizenship last year. Wasn't it so all this he could... time of living in this living in the U.S. since the 60s, and now he's got his U.S. citizenship. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's funny that all his commentary has been on American politics this whole time, and that's and true. Finally, became a citizen. So I'm pretty sure it was so he could vote in the 2020 election. Right? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that he was like, okay. <laughs> All right, I gotta get in on this. I've been talking. He's shit married this to Daryl Hannah, oh, the yeah. actress. <laughs> Someone's yeah. doing a deep dive right now. Wow! Somebody's got their Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> this is the stuff I'm good at. Um, yeah. Um, you know, speaking of Willie Nelson earlier too, uh, Neil Young has got a connection through there. Not only, obviously, being somebody who shows up to play at Farm Aid quite often or has mm-hmm. anyway in the mm-hmm. past, but mm-hmm. uh, Lucas Nelson, Willie Nelson's son, who is not only a member of the Willie Nelson family band, but has his own band called uh, Promise of the Real. Good band. Promise of the Real has supported uh, 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 Neil Young as his backing band on several tours and on albums and stuff like that. So, mm. so yeah, he's tied into the, to the Nelson clan too. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how much time he's spent in Canada since, you know, since, since the sixties, doesn't seem like a ton. Doesn't he comes like up here to, to, to make fun of our, or, or the oil sands in Alberta or whatever he does flies I mean, over he, them and goes, no, He's an activist. You got to check it off yeah, like w- your activism, tourism. Yeah. Like, oh, I haven't said anything about the oil sands. Better go and make sure I <laughs> do that. He's activism Batman. He goes where he's needed. There exactly. you go. Exactly. One of the things that, he, you know, that he has really been campaigning for the last few years is he's really been against. He's played along. Like, I listened to this album a few different ways. I listened to it uh, through Apple. And Apple is now streaming as high uh like high quality files as they can partially mm-hmm. through campaigning of guys like Neil Young 
who, you know, the first time he heard MP3s and heard how compressed and like low bit rate they were, was just horrified. And then he started pushing his own, um, like hardware for digital music that never really took off. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a big clunky player that didn't really fit in your pocket very nicely. Um, I'm sure you can find it on the Wikipedia there if, you, if you're still looking. Uh, but he is kind of he he he's kind of come along with this like the, the lossless audio and things like that. He's uh, he's he's gotten behind and uh, you know it, it was called Pono. Pono, right? And then you know he uh, I was listening to it on Apple Music and you know the the remastered versions with the lossless audio sound pretty good, pretty good. I mean, pretty good. He's not wrong in wanting if he's like, well, if you're going to fucking stream my shit, make it sound as good as it's supposed to sound. Even though I've got a guy over here banging on the piano because it's his first time ever banging on a piano. <laughs> I still want you to hear every goddamn note. Well, it's I, yeah, I, I get that. But, you know, it's like I, because hearing low quality like files of music, whether or not, you know, if you're making even if you're making a noise album affects how you hear that mm-hmm. music. For right. Sure. It's like we've talked about. You know, it's it sucks when you know, people are like, "Ooh, I'm gonna get into vinyl. Vinyl sounds you supposed to sound so good," and then they just put it like on a shitty fucking turntable with a ceramic needle, <laughs> with tinny little speakers, and they go, "What the fuck is this? I thought this was supposed to sound better. This sounds that like shit." Lied to me. And it's like, well, that's not that's not really the experience, you know. Like that's not, and I get why that would be frustrating. I, I get what you know, like people are gonna get a low. In, like a low quality impression of your music or whatever right. you're it's like what we like to say in the uh, graphic design print business you know garbage in garbage out man okay yeah let's use that as a as a bit of an analogy right how many times have we seen like a poster or a banner or something like that where you're like yikes man you can see you know like the, the what is it called the vector or whatever like somebody That's right. you can yeah. see it's pixely as hell because they didn't they they got like they don't have the vector they've got they got the raster back the graphics yeah, yeah, exactly. They just like they just oh man, they, up. they didn't even they didn't even like look for like a high quality one on Google. They just took the first one they found, you know, like posted pretty, from Instagram or something. <laughs> that's punk rock. <laughs> when you can see when you can see the pixels. Mm-hmm. Look, so, if it's intentional, that's the thing, right? If it was intentional to see the pixels, that's one good thing. Good job, you did it. But if it's not intentional, if so you even wanted you, it to yeah. look like shit and it looks like shit, you did a good job. Yeah, exactly. Mission accomplished. Did you know that Buffalo Springfield was Neil Young? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. So who's singing the vocal in that song for what it's worth? Oh, definitely not something happening here. (laughs) Who is that? I don't know. That's actually a good piece of trivia. I didn't do a deep dive on the... Yeah, there's some pop-up video shit. (laughs) I just listened to this record for what this record was worth. Yeah. Anything else is incidental. I did my or what it's worth research. Um, oh, me too. Here's here's another fun thing I dug up, and I I, I like this. We'll call it a semi quote because I'm not sure how valid it is, but allegedly, while he was uh, for the song "Don't Let It Bring You Down," he would introduce it when he played it uh, on stage by saying something along the lines of, uh, "Here's a new song. It's guaranteed to bring you right down. It's called Don't Let It Bring You Down." It sort of starts off real slow and then fizzles out altogether. 
It's like a glowing recommendation, okay. isn't it? Look, maybe this like, isn't his go favorite. Go to the bathroom now. Mm. Maybe this isn't his favorite record. I mean, that's the thing is, like, I've heard people. I I've never seen Neil Young like actually live in concert, other than footage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've listened to some of the live records, like Russ Never Sleeps, stuff like that. But I know a lot of people who have uh, had negative impressions of his live show. <laughs> And it kind of makes sense if he says stuff like that live and they'll say like, oh, it just seems like he's not interested to be there, whatever. Maybe like, he's just not developed his banter game. You know, banter, right. banter well, is hard okay. sometimes. So here's the thing. You just want to rock. That song that he said that about is already a pretty sarcastic song. We haven't really talked about that one very much, but like it's a very sarcastic song. So mm-hmm. for him to say that, just like maybe that just lends to the sarcasm. Look, he's, yeah. a, he's kind of a curmudgeon. <laughs> right like he's a curmudgeon you know yep. he's furrowing his brow on the cover of this album he's <laughs> he's never happy i like what's the happiest the grinch yeah what's the happiest you've ever seen neil young i think he's just he's just a look he's he's good at looking inward and being able to communicate that sort of thing and i would say personally i think his best songwriting is yet to come this isn't it you know and there's mm-hmm. a reason harvest is the album that blew him up and you know, and then he he's had some he's had all kinds of periods all over the place. But there's one consistency. He's always angry. Yeah. <laughs> he's always angry. He's he's angry on this record. If he's not, then he's like he's not like he's sad. He's just kind of like he's like he's got a melancholy to him. Like we've used that word so much today. But, you know, like he's not a happy guy. Like he's kind of got to like, what's the point? Why bother? And if he does bother, it's because he's pissed off. Yeah. Like, so you get one or two. So yeah. I'm sure that's probably part of the thing with live shows, right? Where, you know, he's, he's, yeah. Oh, great. He's We're going like, to go see a Neil Young show. What's he pissed off about tonight? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, he's giving you a song. He's like, here's another fucking song. <laughs> 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 so I get why people are like, yeah, I don't know. Live show. Meanwhile, though, you know, that's probably partially why, like, I know that he is popular with general, like the general population, you know, mm-hmm. his songs have been hits or whatever, but it, it, he does have a little bit of a songwriters songwriter kind of thing going on, uh, you know, because he does have that like level of like sarcasm or whatever, where, you know, it's all the things you feel where that you were like frustrated and you wish you could say, you know, I put him in like a category with guys a little bit later on, like, um, like Warren Zevon could get away with that. Sure. You know, but I think Warren's even did it with a little more humor. Yeah. It so was a little more charming. Yeah. Um, Randy Newman, you know? Yeah. Although Randy Newman is funny because he writes records about like selling out, but then he like writes songs for fucking Disney and shit. So you know? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but at least he's, but he's also self-aware and has a sense of humor about it too, but he's definitely somebody who's very sarcastic and, mm-hmm. you know, a little biting and, and mm-hmm. wry, you know, Neil Young is just missing some of the humor. <laughs> that's yeah. it. He never quite got the humor. He did, just didn't get the humor angle of things, but that's okay, you know. Like at least, like you're talking about him criticizing his old old writing. At least you know he didn't. You know he doesn't take himself that seriously. He's not just like nah, it's fucking gold. Shut up and listen to it and like it. Yeah, I just shit fucking fucking golden eggs constantly. Just love it. Um. So yeah, I don't know, guys. Like, uh, any anything else that we haven't said? Any other points that need to be made about the this record? Like. Um, oh. I did. I definitely enjoyed my my two or three listens. Uh, I think I got through it about three times actually. Um, you know, 
uh, a couple of times while while streaming, and then you know I I, I managed to put a, a copy on the old turntable and listen to that. So I'd say I sort of like I half I fair to Midland the first listen through, but when I really gave it a deep dive and was like you know doing the like did, do you have you have this on vinyl is what you're saying? Yeah, I was gonna save it until we got to the is it going in your collection thing. I'd be like, it already is. Sure, but I was but, gonna say, do, does it have what? What are the liner notes like? I would be interested. Uh, I don't have. If there was an insert, I'm missing the insert. Because I really um, came to appreciate this. It's album. a gatefold, and it's just him. See, looking, looking tense <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> he looking happy as usual. Yes, looking happy. Like I mean, you know, when you see this really up close, like this solarized shot of his face. Mm-hmm. Like, like, look, he just looks annoyed. He's just yeah. annoyed that he's getting his picture. Is there taken. somebody behind him? Yes, there's an old lady walking the other way. Oh, Apparently, I this she was, was growing uh, out of on... his back. No, no, no okay. this is a picture taken. That maybe that was why he was angry. No, this is a picture taken uh, while Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young were um, playing the UCLA campus. Mm. And so the actual original picture has like, like two, like two or three other members of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, walking at the same time, but they just, walking. but the they like this picture for Neil, so they used it for this album instead. But the problem was apparently that he was out of focus, so they thought a cool way to get him in focus was to solarize his face, basically overexpose. Yeah, just just his face. No, yeah. that's just his pure anger radiating. But like, it's a completely not, normal photo. Turns him into a negative fellow. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not happy there. The gatefold. He's not happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, not a happy guy. Here's a picture of his butt. There you go. So he was doing that before oh, Bruce. Oh, man. It's not Bruce Springsteen's butt, but it'll do. <laughs> but look at all the patches. It's all patches. So it's all patchy. patchy. I mean, my, my idea was like, the first listen through, I didn't really care too much about this album, except for Southern Man. I was like, oh, good. I like this song. It's a good jam. But the second listen through with the deep diving and the, you know, looking stuff up, I, I appreciate it. I like it now, you know? Well, okay, it, and not, the only liner note that's on here that isn't an insert says, most of these songs were inspired by the Dean Stockwell, Herb Berman screenplay after the Gold Rush. There it is. So it says most of these songs, so even more than those two. Yeah, those are those were the two that, what in what I was, what I read about it anyways, were like, these would have been like, you know, if there would have been a movie made, these would have been directly from the story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you guys want to find out what Rolling Stone had to say about it? What did they say? Where did they put it? Rolling Stone put this at number 90 on their uh, greatest albums of all time. I believe, Charlie, if you can confirm this for me, that it used to be higher. Yes, it did. It, it uh, dropped in down. 2012 was at number 74. Well, there you go. So 74 to 90, it slipped a little bit. Uh, for his third album, Neil Young fired Crazy Horse, the first of many times he would do so, picked up an acoustic guitar and headed to his basement. He installed recording equipment in the cellar of his Topanga Canyon home near Los Angeles, leaving room for only three or four people there. There, uh, Young made an album of heartbreaking ballads such as Tell Me Why and Don't Let It Bring You Down. The music is gentle but never smooth. Uh, Nils Lofgren, then an 18-year-old hotshot guitar, squeezed into the sessions, but Young assigned him to the piano, an instrument he had never played in his life. So there you go. They put a little trivia in there. That's not so much of a of a, a review or a recommendation as that is kind of just a, a synopsis. <laughs> but Maybe hey, they didn't want to go over how they didn't like it the first time. I don't is know. Is that is that where your review ends? That was. 
that was it, it says, yeah. where it says uh, an instrument he has never played in his life because it it's for the the 2012 print version goes mm-hmm. one sentence further one half a sentence further saying it was a characteristically contrary move that worked out beautifully so for some oh. reason they felt to cut that for, one. Yeah, for line. whatever reason they edited that. <laughs> Weird. Maybe who who was ever editing this didn't wasn't like man. They were maybe they were a little bit like eh, I that's don't a know bit much. That's a bit much. Reel it in. Dial it in. Cut yeah. that last half sentence. Who knows? Well, what do you guys think though? Does it deserve its ranking? Eh, I feel like the others, the last couple of things, like the Hendrix and shit like that that we've been listening listening to just before this, mm-hmm. a little bit of a higher bar. I don't know. I feel like this would maybe go on the other side of those ones. I can see that. I can see that. Uh, Naomi, what do you think? Um, I would also think that maybe there's albums like the one that came after that that would deserve a higher ranking. But I do think it's kind of funny that it fell in ranking. I guess someone's got to fall in ranking when you got to put Drake and Taylor Swift up there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know if I need this in the top 100 yeah. albums of all time. I mean, I can honestly, if it, you know, I like this record, but if it never made this list at all, I don't want to be like, what? This is a travesty. This is missing, you know, sure. like. Well, so, like I said, like when we keep saying like something that was bigger, like Harvest, I would have expected maybe, and who knows, maybe it's still coming, but like I would have expected that to maybe be higher. Yeah, I'm going to guess Harvest is still coming. Yeah. I'm going to guess. I don't know. But um, but yeah, we'll see. Like, you know, I, my, I genuine, genuinely enjoyed this album. But like I said, there's a time and a place for this. I think this is like, if I'm feeling that mood, I'm like, this is like a rainy day record, you know, yeah. like let's, let's put the soundtrack on for a rainy day. This isn't like, let's get the party going. This isn't like inspiring me, you know, to get out of bed in the morning. Like I put this jam on and hop in the shower and, you know, take on the day. Get so, angry and go take down the establishment. So, but I think in context of Neil Young, you know, it deserves to be listened to and, 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 and the history of music in general of, of popular and rock music and whatnot. Um, so anybody putting it in their collection, if you don't already have it, I don't think so. No, I think like I, go. I would I would listen to it and uh, I would I would probably stream it again to much to his chagrin. But uh <laughs> just do it through Apple because now they're using lossless. So yeah. yeah. Um but it's okay because it would just make him angry and make him want to make more art. So whatever. There you go, right? Yeah. Uh, is that the best way to make Neil Young make art is just to piss him off? That's right. I'm just playing right into his hand. There you go. Naomi, what about you? No. I don't I wouldn't Straight listen up. to it more. <laughs> yeah now the reason i have a copy of this isn't because i went out and like you know this is one of those ones that just came and came to me in a collection so, you know somebody was like hey I got you like records. records take a box of records yeah you want any of these and you know i was like oh yeah i'll grab these grab that great thank you you know like um but i'm not i'm, I'm glad to have it it's a good clean copy and i yeah, threw it on in good condition yeah threw it on this morning and uh it played really beautifully and i have to say i think it sounds better Oh, nice. His Which is interesting book- because I listened to it on Spotify and it would have been like the 2009 remaster, not the 50th anniversary, both uh, both of which are on there. Yeah, I, I kind of hemmed and hawed about which one to listen to on, on there. And uh, I went with the 2009 just because I had heard some negative things about the 50th anniversary. Mm. Well, version. it seemed longer. I picked the one with the short. Uh, obviously, too. I was also, I to wanted, tracks. I didn't want to accidentally start listening to extra tracks and yeah, get the wrong that impression. muddies the waters. Cool. All right. Well, there we go. Um, so, Neil Young, After the Gold Rush. Uh, that was number 90. So, cool. we've done the top 10. Uh, 
thanks everybody for listening and hanging out with us. Uh, you know, we love the, what we do. So, uh, you know, if you want to hang out and uh, support us and get in on the conversation, find out when and where episodes are going to be dropping, then you need to get to the website. And that website is Charlie. Oh, that website is l2lpodcast.com. Right on. That's right. And because this is an audio medium and we are talking about other audio mediums, uh, you know, what the hell? Why not uh, use your own auditory tool, your your mouth, and talk to yeah. us like old fashioned, like throwback, like retro, like, you know, totally old school style by using a telephone. You can call us. Naomi, what is the number of that telephone? You can call us at 780-851-8785. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, we have our own realized individual sovereign lives. And, you know, we do whatever we want to do with them. So what are you guys doing with your lives? Charlie, what do you got going on? Oh, you can come visit me at oldmandesign.com. It's an online shirt shop where you can get all sorts of learning to listen merchandise. We've got shirts. We've got mugs. Hey, we got whatever you need. Come on down to oldmandesign.com and we'll get you sorted. <laughs> wow. Charlie got a new soundboard, by the way, <laughs> if you didn't know. All right, Naomi, what do you got going on? I also host a podcast where we talk to artists who are big in the decade of the 90s called Dope Nostalgia. I've uh, got, well, we already have like 93 episodes in the bank. So, Whew. yeah, we've had great guests like, um, Biff Naked, Naughty by Nature, Mr. Big, Color Me Bad. It it's, keeps getting bigger and better. So come check it out. Right on, right on, right on. And of course, we've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash learning to listen. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us there, subscribing. You know, uh, it, we really appreciate it. It keeps this whole thing afloat. Uh, if you have not checked it out, uh, please do patreon.com slash learning to listen. That is where we put out episodes early. You get all kinds of bonus content. Uh, yeah. And you just really help us out. So patreon.com slash learning to listen. Okay. Thank you once again, everybody for listening and hanging out with us today. Next week. Uh, I think what we're going to do is a little bit of a retrospective of the first Ooh. 10 albums uh, that we've talked about on the Rolling Stones greatest albums of all time. Yeah. Chart. So uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Cause you know, we've only been doing this for so long and I feel like I need to, I need to, you know, quantify a few things and, and put a few things into perspective. So it feels like both. It feels like this is it. it we've, we're already at number 90, but also it feels like, Holy shit, man, it's taking us so long to get to number 90. So it, well, aren't you glad I didn't suggest we do all 500 <laughs> Ooh, doggy. Okay. Well, that's it for us today. And, uh, you know, just like Neil Young probably said to every reporter and photographer that ever tried to, you know, like uh, do any public relations, uh, you know, <laughs> campaigning with him. All right. Can we uh, wrap, wrap, wrap it up?
the 1990s. The music was fun, and then it got really dark for a while, a little bit anti-establishment. But the next thing you knew, it was totally fun again. So many artists came and went, and left us wondering, what are they doing now? This podcast isn't about the heavy hitters who are still making millions. It's about everyone else, the ones whose careers didn't really leave that decade and kind of just still live in our memory. So you mean Vanilla Ice had another song? We all know what happened to Marky Mark, but what about the Funky Bunch? Who were the KLF, and why did Tammy Wynette record a song with an electro dance band that topped the charts? Two genres that specifically defined the 90s. What were freestyle and new jack swing all about? Did you know that Blossom star Joey Lawrence had a huge pop hit? Or that Alanis Morissette had a really hot pop career in Canada before Jagged Little Pill? Special guests will also be joining me to discuss the great era of glitter, grunge, Thin eyebrows, hammer pants, and total ridiculousness. We're even setting up some interviews with some of the musicians that define the times. Okay, so if you're older than 30, you might be sitting here going, Man, I totally remember that song, but I have no idea who does that. Well then, you better listen and find out. I'm Naomi Carmack, host of the Ultimate 90s podcast, Dope Nostalgia. You're going to be busting a move again, coming in early 2020. You want to follow us so that you know when we go live? Check out our Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, or you can find us on Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. If you've got a question or you just want to be on the show, email us at Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com.